Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Bringing together people who are seemingly different, Christians and Jews, and saying we agree on many things. Let's focus on what we agree on instead of what separates us. So let's go back to, you know, what it says in the scriptures, what it says in the Bible and the Torah, and see, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the poor, take care of the elderly, take care of the orphans. In Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless those who bless Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's come together on those core principles of both of our faiths. And what we see is when we do that, suddenly over 2 million people are being given the gift of life through this partnership. It's such a beautiful partnership and it's helping hundreds upon thousands of people. And today on Connections, we're joined by Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of International Fellowship of Christians and Jews Global. Today on Connections, she's going to share with us a little bit about this organization, what they're doing and why this partnership is so important. Our guest today is Yael Eckstein. She is the president and CEO of International Fellowship of Christians and Jews Global. Let's start right there. For those who don't know, what is the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews? Okay, well, um, we are the largest philanthropic organization in Israel, and we um, look to the Bible for the areas where we are supposed to be helping. So it's with the basics, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, helping the elderly and the orphans, and also helping Jews at risk around the world move to Israel. So we have offices in North America and in Canada, which we're very excited about, and uh, in Korea. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with this. There's a very interesting story behind that as well. Yes. Well, I guess if you start at the end, it all kind of comes together. The end is that um, uh, my father, Rabbi Gil Eckstein of Blessed Memory, he started the organization almost 40 years ago. So I guess when I say that, usually people say, oh, so you were groomed to take it over. And the answer is definitely not. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Actually, until um, I was in college, I didn't even really know what my father did. At school, it was the question, me and my sister dreaded. What, do, what does your father do for a living? We had, you know, some people had doctors, some people were teachers. I was like, my father helps people and brings together people who are different in order to better the world. <laughs> That's all I knew about it. Um, but it was when I made Aliyah, when I myself moved to Israel in 2005, that I saw the work of the fellowship on the ground. And I said to my father, I have to be involved in this. Um, and it was back then that he looked at me and he said, no, you don't. You're going to go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> but I insisted. So I really started from the bottom, putting stamps on envelopes and answering phones and worked my way up, really feeling like it was a calling to um, to prove myself in the administrative kind of visionary way while feeling totally fulfilled doing anything in order to help this mission that I saw as prophetic and life-saving. What was that experience like? Like you said, you you started with not at all being interested in this and even your, your father saying, no, like yeah. you're not going into this. What was that like to make that transition and then actually be fully involved like you were? Yeah, it's such a good question. It's 
I feel like it was really a gift because I think very often speaking to other people who have taken on their family business or ministry or um, or even church or synagogue, a lot of people are groomed for it from the time they're young, that they feel this pressure that even if I don't really want to do it, I have to. And even if I have other passions that I want to pursue or dreams for myself, it's choosing between their own personal dream and the expectations of their parent or the future and survival of the company or organization. So I feel really lucky and blessed that I came to it on my own and that my father actually made me kind of prove that this was a passion um, because I feel like it, I, it it's my own personal mark. So while I'm connected um, to my father, of course, for teaching me everything and showing me the way and being able to learn from him and carry on his legacy through the organization, I also was able to really establish my own mark because it wasn't this pressure from my parent that I felt like I had to do exactly the same. Through that experience, what has been the most memorable or influential moment in that time? Wow, there are so many. I There are some moments that really stand out. And um, one of them is the first time I greeted a flight of Olim from uh, Ukraine. So these are Jews who are leaving Ukraine and moving to Israel. And I remember watching them on the tarmac and they were kissing the floor and celebrating mm. and they were so happy. And I remember speaking to them and one of them was a Holocaust survivor. And she said, you know, I survived the Holocaust. All my family was killed and I've been dreaming to come to Israel. And I can't can't believe she was 83 years old that at 83 I'm making that dream happen. Um, it was kind of this wake up call of how historic and um, from a spiritual perspective, prof prophetic and also just practically life saving the work is. You know, we see what's happening now in Ukraine and this woman would have still been there. Um, and the whole war in Ukraine now has al also has really stood out to me as um, I was in Kiev uh, just four days before the war broke out as there were 100,000 Russian troops surrounding Ukraine. I flew into Kiev in order to prepare um, the people on the ground for what would come. We, we couldn't have imagined what would be now. But because of the preparation of the fellowship, we were providing food, medicine, and evacuation literally from the day the war broke out up to today, where in Kiev, we had a food box distribution today um, for over 650 people. So everything every day inspires me, reminds me that this is holy work, this is life-saving work, but there are some historic situations that remind you um, what you're here for and how this is going to go down in history. Going back to the 83-year-old woman, like these are in some situations very, very simple things, but so impactful. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. I grew up in Chicago and I was studied in New York and my father grew up in Ottawa. Um, his, his father was the chief rabbi of Ottawa, Canada. And, and, and we, thank God, have been blessed. We've always lived very simple lives, but we've been blessed. We never had to worry about food or worry that we wouldn't be able to turn on the heat in the winter. That to go and see a Holocaust survivor or an elderly or a little child who in the winter is sitting freezing because 
they don't have money to buy a heater or can't afford to buy a blanket or that you open their refrigerator and it's empty and then you come with a blanket and a heater and food you suddenly realize how how i realize how blessed i am and how something that sounds as simple as oh i'm going to bring an elderly a blanket could be the difference not only between her not being cold at night or you know feeling warm or feeling freezing but also the message that it gives the fact that we are an organization that's jews and christians coming together to bring these people the life-saving aid and also the hope when i see the elderly especially when I see their face, when they hear this is from Christians and Jews around the world, in America, in Canada, who stand with you and who care about you having a blanket, I often feel like it's just as important as the actual warmth of the blanket, that feeling of hope and of not being alone. You mentioned it there a little bit, building bridges between Christians and Jews through this organization. Why is this so important for this ministry? Wow. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story, Colleen. It was around a month before my father passed away. He died around three years ago and he was, um, uh, it, it was very unexpected. He woke up, he drank his coffee, he prayed, he read the newspaper, and then he had a heart attack and died. It was very unexpected. He wasn't sick before. And it was around a month before he died that he called me. There was an article in the Jerusalem Post about the fellowship. And he called me and said, yeah, El, did you see the article? And it was praising the fellowship and talking so good about my father. I said, yeah, I did see it. It looks great. He said, no, I hated it. I said, oh, no, why did you hate it? He said, yeah, they called me a fundraiser. I'm not a fundraiser. I'm a rabbi. I'm an educator. I'm a bridge builder. I'm not a fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And for me, that summed up everything. The fellowship, thank God, is the largest philanthropic organization in all of Israel. Last year, we helped over 2 million people in Israel and across the former Soviet Union. And yet that's not even our main mission. Our, that's the outcome of our main mission. Our main mission is simply bringing together people who are seemingly different, Christians and Jews, and saying we agree on many things. Let's focus on what we agree on instead of what separates us. So let's go back to you know what it says in the scriptures, what it says in the Bible and the Torah, and see feed the hungry, clothe the naked, shelter the poor take care of the elderly, take care of the orphans. In Genesis 12, 3, it says, I will bless those who bless Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's come together on those core principles of both of our faiths. And what we see is when we do that, suddenly over 2 million people are being given the gift of life through this partnership. But the main mission is coming together, especially in this world. I think when my father started the organization 40 years ago, he couldn't imagine what a dark world he would be leaving with so much di- just people not liking each other. Everyone's focusing on what divides us instead of what unites us. More and more people feeling ostracized and, and fighting and political differences. And that what the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews does is we come and we say, let's focus on the good things that unite us. And from that point, there are amazing miracles that are happening. Tell us a little bit more. You mentioned some of the humanitarian work 
Uh, tell us a little bit more about the humanitarian work that IFCJ does. So it's it's really, it sounds so simple to bring food, to bring medicine, to help the elderly. We identify the needs on the ground. We're an organization that is on the ground in Israel, on the ground in the former Soviet Union, and those are the places where most of our humanitarian work takes place. And so we're big believers in working with the partners on the ground, so we're not paying administrative costs, we're not recreating the wheel, as they say, but rather we find um, volunteers, on the ground who could distribute our aid for us. And we work with the government of Israel, with the municipal social workers. So, for example, the social workers on the ground in Israel, paid by the government, have access to all of the tax reports and income and all the different documentation that you need, that they're able to identify the people who are in the hardest situations, the poorest people, the families who don't have food, the elderly who don't have any family support. And so by working with the Ministry of Welfare and the municipal social workers, we identify those people who have no one else, who have nothing else, who don't have food, who don't have medicine, who uh, a single mother whose refrigerator breaks and has no way to buy a new refrigerator. And that's exactly where the fellowship moves in. And so our key is partnerships, not only in the area of the Jewish Christian relations, but also in distributing uh, this humanitarian aid. It's in the partnerships with the people, with the volunteers, with the professionals on the ground. So we create programs for, I'll give you one example. Um, we have a lot of elderly calling us asking for food aid. Now, the fellowship has 16 soup kitchens across Israel that we help, um, but there are 247 municipalities. So sometimes people would be asking for help in municipalities where we didn't have a soup kitchen. And so what we did was we started a program that's kind of a proactive program where we, we identified criteria for the most at-risk people who we want to be there for. So we said elderly over 80 years old who don't have any family support, who are living only on government stipend. Many of these people are also immigrants who came with nothing but the clothing, the clothing on their back, that they're living on under $600 a month. And those are the people, these elderly, they're never going to get out of poverty. They're not going to be able to go out at 85 years old and get a job and start providing for themselves. So what we did was we created these criteria. We worked with the government of Israel to identify 15,000 elderly who meet that criteria. We went to them and we said, we are going to bring you food for the rest of your life. And every single week, a volunteer goes where they develop a relationship with the volunteer. And they know that until they die, they will not have to worry about going hungry. So this isn't just a temporary fix. Like typically it's like, hey, go to the soup kitchen or hey, we have this little meal program. This is something that can impact their lives till, like you said, till their time on this earth is done. Yeah, yeah. So we have lots of different programs, like you said, of this um, kind of a one-time emergency aid. So we're preparing now, for example, for Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which is a big holiday, that what they call it the high holidays. It's the biggest time of kind of celebration and food. And a lot of times, just like Christmas, if, if you don't have money, these high holidays, these special times are very difficult. It reminds you how you don't have food to feed your children. You can't even uh, afford to close the month on a regular month. Now are the holidays that you can't afford it. So the fellowship is actually preparing you now a special program to help over 65,000 people for Rosh Hashanah. 
in Israel and in Ukraine. Um, and, and that's they'll get a food box that will be enough for the month of the high holidays, but it's not for the rest of their lives. So we're working really on both fronts on the um, one time emergency aid or holiday aid or the soup kitchen aid. But then we're also going to the people who are most vulnerable, who our donors are always thinking about and praying for. And we're saying, uh, you don't have to take this food box that should last a month and stretch it actually to last three months because you don't know when you'll get food again. We're coming and telling you we are going to provide you with the basic, something that so many of us take for granted, food. Yes, yes. What has been the greatest lesson that you've learned since stepping into your leadership role? <sighs> wow, 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 wow. Great question. Um, I have this really vivid memory. Um, I was I was in mourning the week of mourning Shiva following my father's death, and um, my father was a big public figure in Israel. Everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. Everyone knew the incredible work that he started and through the fellowship and the huge impact he made on so many people's lives. And uh, a mayor of one of the cities came to pay a shiva call, to to uh, pay her respects as I was in mourning. And she said to me, um, Yael, you have very big shoes to fill. How mm. How are you going to fill them? And I don't know, it just came to me, but I looked at her and I said, mm, I'm not going to even try to fill my father's shoes. He had a much bigger foot than I had. I'm going to try to wear my own. And however hard that is, there were so many times when I had to make hard decisions that, you know, when I took over um, this role that I was voted president-elect around a year before my father died because my father was planning on going into retirement two years later. Um, so we thought we had, you know, three to five years. We ended up having one year. And so it's not that I was working with my father for over 15 years before that, but it was it was a surprise. Um, and there were a lot of things that I knew I had to change if I wanted the organization not only to survive against all odds, but to actually thrive and grow to the next level. And so I think the hardest thing, but also the most important thing was making my own decisions that were different than my father might have made, but that were right for the time. Mm -hmm. And now three years later, when we were able to help even more people than ever before in 2021, a year of COVID and war and hardships, you know, it, it seems kind of confirmation from heaven of my father saying, mm -hmm. thank you for doing that. You did it right. And Specifically by making different decisions, I strengthened my father's legacy because I kept his organization not only alive, but strong. From the young lady who had no interest in being a part of <laughs> IFCJ to now the president, what are you uh, most excited about when it comes to the future of this organization? What a, hmm, that's a great question. I guess it's hard for me to think about the future because I think God has done so many things I never could have dreamed of that from the second I started putting stamps on envelopes um, to the place that I was voted president elect to the place of um, now three years later, I have the same prayer when I speak to God and it's use me in whatever way I could bring you honor. Use me in whatever way um, I'm able to help more people and let me stay humble. And what I realized is that when I 
pray to God and ask him for guidance and keep a pure, humble heart of realizing it's not me who's doing this. It's me together with God, together with all of our donors, together with our amazing staff, together with all of our partners. God works miracles. I've literally seen miracles of where the fellowship has grown to be able to help from during the war with Ukraine, being able to get humanitarian permission to fly uh chartered flights with 15 tons of food and medicine into Ukraine, into Moldova to then go into Ukraine. When the airspace was closed, we had two flights landing like this a day and bringing bringing humanitarian aid, uh, medicine and uh, food inside Ukraine. And then the flights coming back to Israel full with Jewish refugees making Aliyah, moving to Israel. That I couldn't have planned that. I couldn't have foreseen that. I couldn't have hoped for that. But what I hope and foresee and pray for is that whatever happens in this very uncertain world, that the fellowship will be equipped and to be able to mobilize immediately to be where we need to be in order to save lives. For our listeners who are interested in praying for this fellowship, how can they pray? Mm, thank you so much. So we are constantly posting updates both on our website, IFCJ. Um, also, I'm always posting updates for uh, life in Israel and different programs and things happening on social media, Yael Eckstein on Facebook, on Instagram, on LinkedIn. Um, but I think the main prayer is that God will lay it on more people's hearts to join this partnership that says we not only appreciate, but as it says in the Bible, we love each other. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in peace. And the more people who can purify their heart to say, I want to look at my brother and love him. Um, I want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I want to pray for all of the persecuted people around the world. I believe prayer is our greatest weapon. <laughs> mm. So the more we pray for each other, I think uh, the more we'll be protected from all the other weapons that could actually destroy love it again you just mentioned it a few minutes ago but if people want to learn more about you or the fellowship how can they go about doing that thank you so much so uh you can visit our website you could just type in google international fellowship of christians and jews and it will come up international international fellowship of christians and jews of canada of course um and uh and and all on the website we have everything that you need to see from um different nonprofit ratings to awards we've gotten to, uh, of course, uh, nonprofit status to stories and news and updates. So our website and all social media platforms are really the best way to keep up with our day-to-day -day happenings that are many. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for making time for us and sharing all of the work that IFCJ is doing. You're wonderful, Colleen. Thank you so much for hosting me. It's been an honor. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation again, you could do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.